Welcome to Book, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be talking about tonight is The Devil All the Time by Donald Ray Pollock. Pollock grew up in Nakamstiff, Ohio, and quit high school at 17 to work in a meatpacking plant. He then spent 32 years employed as a laborer at a paper mill in Ohio before enrolling in the MFA program at Ohio State University. His first book, a collection of stories called Knock'em Stiff, won the 2009 Penn Robert Bingham Fellowship. All right, here's a synopsis for the book taken from the author's webpage. Set in rural southern Ohio and West Virginia, The Devil All the Time follows a cast of compelling and bizarre characters from the end of World War II to the 1960s. There's Willard Russell, tormented veteran of the carnage in the South Pacific, who can't save his beautiful wife Charlotte from an agonizing death by cancer, no matter how much sacrificial blood he pours on his prayer log. There's Carl and Sandy Henderson, a husband and wife team of serial killers who troll America's highways searching for suitable models to photograph and exterminate. There's the spider-handling preacher Roy and his crippled virtuoso guitar-playing sidekick Theodore, running from the law, and caught in the middle of all this is Arvin Eugene Russell, Willard and Charlotte's orphan son, who grows up to be a good but also violent man in his own right. The first thought I had when we were um, putting notes together for this episode is that the synopsis that Livius just read is so good at telling you what goes on in this story that there's really not more to say about the story in general. That really, you know, without spoiling it, that's really <laughs> that's a really really good like summary of everything that goes on. I agree, and um, we were recently accused of being too spoilery on an episode. Um, so, again, I'm going to credit that back to the author and his website. So we're pretty much free to talk about whatever we'd like this time around, no? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he gave more than I think I would have um, otherwise. So, yeah, let's we can just talk. The world is our oyster. Have at it. Kick it off. Okay, so... Um, I haven't read Pollock's other book, Knock'em Stiff, but I know Livius has, so he might have a comment on this. But the thing I noticed about the way the book is structured is that it starts out as kind of a series of seemingly unrelated stories uh, of different people that as the book goes along, their connections become more apparent. And um, by the end, they're all kind of intertwined. Um, yeah, and this book certainly flows um, very much like a story, although it does have a, a larger cast of characters that, that we follow than than most books do, I think. Um, Knock'em Stiff was uh, quite a few short stories all taking place in Knock'em Stiff. And <laughs> that one, Pollock had an interesting way of connecting them by having some of the characters cross over into some of the other short stories. And that's how they all tie together in this small town. One of the things that um, someone who reviewed the book, I read this a while ago, had said about it was... That Knock'em Stiff was so small that he had to have characters cross over in other stories just because of how few people lived there. And I thought that was a really clever way for someone to look at it. But yeah, this story, although similar in scope to the stories in Knock'em Stiff, definitely follows a much, much stronger story arc throughout and um, depends less on location and crossover to, to connect the stories than it does, you know, just to follow one bigger story. Yeah, and another thing about it, uh, as far as the structure goes, is that it actually takes place over a couple of generations. Um, it starts at the end of World War II, and then it also takes place in the 60s, so you've got a good chunk of story about Willard Russell and um, flashes of, of his life overseas during the war, but then also meeting up with his wife when he gets back and all that stuff, and then the birth of his son, which is Arvin, who takes uh, a bigger role later on in the book. So it's, 
it's a it's a span of a lot of time, but he does a good job of, of keeping it all together and not making it too confusing. Um, I'll be honest, I wanted to read Pollock's book. There's there's been a lot of hype around it. I really liked Knockham Stiff when I read it a couple years ago. I'm assuming right around the time it was released in 2009. As I started reading this and the stories kind of started doing their own thing, I was a little concerned because I liked Knockham Stiff, but I was hoping to see something different. So I was starting to feel like I was reading Knock'em Stiff again, but as the story arc, um, you know, started coming together, even fairly early on in the book, I realized that he had done something that um, in some ways was much better. I mean, he was able to kind of take that same feel that that book had and tie it all together really, really nicely in a story arc using, as um, as Robert said, using Arvin Russell as, as his main vehicle for that. Uh, one of the things that's kind of cool about uh, you're going to kill me for this, but one of the things that's kind of cool about a, a book that has a good amount of different characters that are introduced separately is to kind of like see if you can figure out how they're going to play into each other later on and stuff like that. But that being said, I, I did say that I had abandoned Stephen King for introducing too many characters, but that was one of the things I was looking forward to was to see what he did with all these characters and how he played them along with each other or against each other. Yeah, it's, again, you know, much bigger story connectivity. It's still, in my opinion, kind of a, a, a vehicle to tell some vignette stories. Probably, in a way, probably the most similar book that we've reviewed was Sunset Park, which also was a lot of individual stories kind of tied together around a bigger one. But um, the difference between this and that is that this is really good. <laughs> Apologies to Paul Oster. <laughs> Sorry, Paul, just in case you're listening. Uh, the difference here is that I genuinely started to care about a lot of these characters, and I wanted to know what happened to them. And not to dredge up an old review, but in Sunset Park, there was some kind of interesting and quirky things here and there. But by and large, I, I didn't didn't care what happened to any of the characters. And in this, characters, good, bad, or indifferent, they, they all had interesting enough storylines that, that kept me with it. Yeah, you wanted to see where they what turned out with them. Yep. Can we talk a little bit about individual characters? Sure, why not? Okay, so in the synopsis that Livius read, he mentioned Carl and Sandy Henderson, who were um, a very unique couple of people. And their story is, like the synopsis says, they're a husband and wife team of serial killers who basically travel around looking for models uh, to photograph and exterminate, is what the synopsis says. And my thought was, I really, really enjoyed the Carl and Sandy story, and I thought it could have been a full book on its own. Their relationship and then the way that they did uh, things both on the road and, and when they weren't on the road was really cool, and I think I would have liked to see a lot more of that. There was potential for a lot of expansion for the detail and stuff there, but I'm not saying it was bad how it was, but it was definitely one of the things that I liked the most. And... I don't know if it's just because I liked it a lot, but I thought that was going to end up being the main focus of the story. And when it, you know, didn't really end up being that way, I was a little disappointed, but it made sense. I have some thoughts on that, and I'm going to try to remember. Maybe you can remind me, come back to them. I want to stay on, on track with talking about some of the characters in the story, though. I'll talk a little bit about Roy and Theodore, who are uh, a kind of kooky church revival duo that uh, throughout the course of the book make their living a variety of ways, but the the foremost in the way they're introduced to us is um, 
Theodore is a is a cripple who plays a guitar while Roy, you know, does that kind of and I don't even know what that's called because uh, I've never really been around it much. But I said that kind of church tent revival, hollering and 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 screaming about you know religion, and then he actually uh, takes in porous spiders and <laughs> and different. Um, various types of uh, insects on himself which is uh, one of the fears he overcame when he found uh, when he found Jesus so again another very dark very strange duo that's introduced to us as uh, as characters in this book yeah as far as other characters that I liked the person that ends up being as much of a main character as you could get with a with such a an ensemble cast is Arvin the son of Willard and um, I, here's my thoughts on that I think he was probably the most likable of character He's the one you really get to see from a young age until, you know, he's an adult and everything. And at least from my perspective, it seems like he's the only person that's truly like a good, strong person. Uh, A lot of the people, their failings in the book are that they're weak or they're greedy and bad things happen or they do bad things. And Arvin, even though he does, even though Arvin's not the most innocent person in the world, uh, it seems like he never does anything out of weakness or greed. He does things as a reaction to something that happens. And it's, it's always kind of just the way that he approaches um, um, anything that he does. Totally agreed. It's good that he's our kind of, like I said, our, our narrative vehicle sort of for, for the story, um, just because he's the one that's by far the most normal. And not only are people, you know, Rob mentioned um, greed and, and just evil. And, but there's some people in there who, you know, there's religious zealots and there's everybody's got their thing. And Arvin, I think, um, was a good choice to be the most main character of the book and the one we could relate to because most of us hopefully aren't like that. So he's the guy who's kind of got his head screwed on, probably the most straight of anybody in the book because everybody else is either <laughs> completely batshit crazy or they're, um, you know, they're, like I said, religious zealots or, or there's something else going on with them where they're they're an extreme and uh, and Arvin is, is not. Arvin is your regular everyday guy kind of thrown into this this wacky world. Yeah, lots of misguided people in this book, um, and not to sell it short, his father Willard actually the you know for the part that he plays in the book was for the most part the same way. I mean, he taught Arvin some lessons at a young age that were kind of the foundation of how Arvin acts as an adult and everything. And so, I'd say a close second for the best character would be Willard you know he was a little messed up when he came back from the war and everything but otherwise I thought he was a pretty solid character as well okay so my little bit on characters that I uh, made a note to remind myself of here Donald Ray Pollock shows us a uh, a culture and this is um, something we really or I really and I remember Rob really enjoyed we talked about Dust Devils was a peek into this kind of foreign culture and um, for me and for Rob too, who haven't, uh, you know, was born and raised in Chicago. Uh, you know, Rob spent most of his life living in the Chicagoland area as well. You know, this is foreign stuff to us. Not only is it, you know, anywhere from you know 1940 something to 1965 or, or wherever the book uh, ends at. Um, so it's a different generation, and it's certainly a different culture than what we're used to. So I don't want to say that everybody in that area is a little screwed up, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know that that's not a fact. What I liked was that he really portrayed a, a culture that's very, very different, not only generationally speaking. So I guess when I say that is, you know, we think about things like, oh, you know, child abuse. That's something that, you know, has only been prevalent in the news in the last, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 years. And not that say that it wasn't going on before, it's just something we didn't hear about. So he gives us a real stark look, not just at a different culture being a kind of southern 
small town group of people versus what I'm used to, but also a different generation. And it's really, really gritty. And I don't know how much of that. And, you know, Mr. Pollock uh, apparently grew up in that time frame uh, just based on his age. And he grew up in Knockham Stiff. So I don't know how much of that is. Uh, I don't want to say biographical for him, but what types of things, you know, he took from his own personal experiences or things that he actually saw while, you know, he was growing up in the 60s versus what, you know, actually happened. But he did give us a glimpse at a total different world, fictional or not. And I really, really liked what I saw there. Another thought I, I had while Livius was saying this we talked about people's greed and, and evil and stuff like that, but there is a very large portion, not portion, but there's a, a good representation of love and sadness and loss and grief. And there's really a range of emotions that he, that he packs into it. And it all feels very real. And, and it resonates with, with me. There's people who are sick who, you know, people who lose loved ones and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's not just this big evil shoot 'em up kind of thing. There is a whole range of, of, of situations and emotions and everything. And I really, really thought he did a great job with those, those touching or sad moments as well. And we are really bad at afterthoughting stuff, aren't we? Like we always pick whatever the biggest part in the book is and just like hammer it home. And then we're like, oh, yeah, and it was funny too. Or, oh, yeah, there was actually some touching <laughs> moments. And you're right. I mean, there, there was some, some really good um, relationship stuff there. Some of it, again, you know, like you said, felt very real in the fact that it wasn't always, you know, just kind of pie in the sky romance, but there was loss. And, and there was, you know, the living with a loved one that isn't perfect, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah, absolutely. There were definitely some of that there. But I still got to say, man, I was hanging in there for, for the kooks. I like the kooks in this one. <laughs> I like to show that contrast because, I mean, no good story is just one thing. Like, I mean, if if a, if a book was 300 pages of someone shooting a bunch of bad guys, it would suck. You know, there has to be that range of, of emotions and, and the different types of people and everything. So I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression that this is, a, you know, a one-sided thing. It's very well fleshed out. I guess the only I don't even I wouldn't even call this objection, but the only thing that uh, that didn't sit quite well with me was how death and violence came. What I think is really quickly, and to me, violence works best when it's it's nearly unthinkable or, or it's something that a lot has to happen in order for someone to get to that point. In this book, it felt too easy. Um, I still think it worked. It wasn't unbelievable, but I felt that it didn't pack as much of a punch that it could have. And again, I'll admit that's just the way that I feel about violence. And I just felt like it was a little bit too easy. I'm going to weigh in on this a little bit for two reasons. I didn't, I didn't think that. And part of that, uh, let me go a different route. I, again, the culture of the 1950s Southern culture, I, I don't know what it was. So maybe a lot of that stuff is, is, uh, it is true to form. I, I don't know what kind of things were going on in rural America in the in the fifties and sixties and kinda of what I alluded to earlier was there's a lot of bad things that go on today that make headline news that, that were kind of swept under the rug back then, even in big cities, and I can imagine it was even more so in, in, in rural areas. So perhaps some of that stuff was a little truer than we'd like to think because we're reading a fiction book. But um, second of all, even if all of it was one hundred percent fictional based on nothing real, I didn't I didn't find it to be objectionable because I think that's the world he set out to show us. So I was pretty happy with it. I see what you're saying. You make a good point and everything. It's obviously a contextual thing that I'm not familiar with, but I'm 
not necessarily talking about what happens in this book, but like if you've got a story where nearly every character that's a you know one of the main characters in the book either has someone die unnaturally or kill someone, that seems excessive to me. And that could be. I mean, like I said, again, you could be right. And I don't know. Like I said, I have two ways of looking at it. Who knows? Maybe some of this stuff is, is all based on, on reality. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe I just like my stuff a lot darker than you. I'm pretty sure we've already established that, though. Yeah, so. That's, that's definitely so. the case. It could also be, and I'm going to admit this is a shortcoming of mine before we get into wrapping up and everything. There's two aspects of the book that are just not my style. And so I might be maybe a little more unfairly critical on it than I would otherwise be, but I'm not a really big fan of overly religious stuff, and I'm not a big fan of Southern stuff in general, so that might be clouding my judgment a little bit, but uh, I'll admit that right out. That's fair. I mean, I know, and Lisa, we've probably mentioned this on the show before, too. I'm not a big fan of religion itself, but if the setting is another culture, and it's part of the story. I'm okay with it. Like it doesn't bother me to read about it as long as it's you know well written within the the scope of the story. But yes, a lot of a lot of religion in this too, and not always really overt religion. It's there's a lot of you know kind of undertones there too. Um, and it but, works. I'm not going to say it doesn't work. I think it works very well in the book. But um, you know everybody's got their own personal taste and everything. Yes. So a little bit about um, about the writing itself. So we've talked a lot about story. We've talked about. Oh, duh, let me one more disclaimer here. Um, some of this stuff is really you got to have a strong stomach to read too. So very, very, um, just vivid and and visceral imagery throughout the book. Not just physical, but emotional and mental. I mean, there's a lot of really rough stuff that goes on in here. So I guess we should kind of mention that in there. So if you don't have a strong stomach, I definitely don't recommend. Uh, I definitely can't <laughs> recommend this book to you. I like my stuff like that, so uh, you know it's perfectly fine by me. But a little bit about the writing and the style. So as I said earlier, a lot of this comes off as vignettes and ways to tell little stories. And, and all of that stuff works so well in this. Um, one, of the, one of the, I call him side characters, is Willard's uncle. And every time he appeared on the page, I was totally locked into whatever he was doing. He was just a great character because he was what I think of as your very stereotypical southern old guy uncle that sits on the porch and, and drinks his whiskey out of a mason jar you know kind of character but the little stories that would pop up about these you know relations of these people or you know neighbors or things that had happened in town were every bit a a big a part of this book to me as the main storyline was so i really liked how he integrated that and that's kind of what i was saying earlier when i thought i was going to get knock em stiff again you know, I was a little disappointed because I wanted to see something new, but he managed to bring all the good parts of Knock'em Stiff in the in the story vignettes and then tie them together with a decent, you know, bigger overall story with some, some solid main characters. Taking an overall look at it, I think some of the things that I liked about the book were how, yeah, I mean, how the characters affected each other. You know, if you had something that happened... In the, in the earlier part of the book in the, that took place just after World War II, he referred to it in the stuff that was going on in the 60s because you got a small town and, like, you know, one major event doesn't just affect the people, you know, who are close to that person. It's something that stays with the whole town, and he did a great job of doing that. So I was really impressed with how the impressions that characters left on each other, I guess, is the best way to say it. Yeah, there was just lots of lots of really good little things, like you said, and that's 
you know, the great thing about his writing, or at least the two things I've, I've read from him, or, or sometimes it's the little things that, that really pack a punch. Yeah, for sure. He, yeah, he's great at that. All right, so I think we've given um, people enough story um, without getting too too far into detail. Um, so let's do, I'm, I'm sure Rob has some quotes. Rob, you got some quotes, right? Yeah, I'm counting them right now. I have six quotes this time. I might not use them all, but uh, I think I'll kick it off with a quote that kind of tells you where the title of the book, The Devil All the Time, comes from. So this is Arvin in the beginning of the book thinking about having a thought about his father Willard. As far back as he could remember, it seemed that his father had fought the devil all the time. All right, then just to break up a little bit of the Rob Quotery, I'm going to throw in with one here. The storekeeper was a sad, worn-out-looking fucker, even though the deputy figured they were roughly the same age. Some people were born just so they could be buried. Um, Witticisms like that just throughout the book. Yeah, just little throwaway moments that are just, you know, a few words. I just had that big impact. I think that's a good style. It, it came through a lot, much like his description of the local bootlegger, which I'm going to give you now. Slot machine, a one-armed bootlegger who operated over on Hungry Holler. <laughs> Do you know what the definition of a holler is? I have no idea what a holler For is. All my, my knowledge of, of, of Southern. It's what would be considered like, to us, I can't even relate it. Basically, the definition of a holler is the distance that you could literally holler from one end to the other, like in the hills. That's what a holler is supposed to be. So it's kind of like a, I guess like a neighborhood is what it would come out to. But basically, yeah, the yelling distance is the way it was explained to me. Like how how far you could be heard if you just yelled really loud. So you understood why they called him slot machine, right? Yes, because he had one arm. Yeah. <laughs> all over it. All over it. Man. Right. I'm all about the one-armed man jokes. Um, can I, I'm going to do another one. Sure. Which actually Livius tells me is the most commonly quoted or highlighted part of the book on Amazon. Jesus, Willard thought. Rich people did fine and dandy as long as things were going their way. But the minute the shit hit the fan, they fell apart like paper dolls left out in the rain. Yeah, I really liked that one, too. I'm surprised that didn't make it into mine. All right, and uh, this week we won't be doing booked theater. This is a two-part thing, but I'm just going to go ahead and, <laughs> and read this one on my own. Like my old mother used to say, he went on, you can't trust any of them. Who, Sandy said. Them goddamn redheads, he said. Hell, they'll spit out a lie even when the truth fits better. They just can't help it. It's something got fucked up in their evolution. <laughs> so that was uh, that was Carl talking to his girlfriend, but... Or, I'm sorry, Carl talking to his wife. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just some of the stuff in here is just pure gold. And you wonder why I like the Carl and Sandy story so much. Um, oh, I didn't, mean to, <laughs> I didn't mean to come across. I did like their story quite a bit. I just, um, I, I kind of like, like, when you had said that, you know, they could do a whole book on him, he could. But what I liked is that he had some other messed up characters he wanted to throw into the mix, too, and not keep it exclusive to them. Absolutely. If, uh, if Livius will allow me, I've got one more quote I'd like to throw out there. Nobody would expect any of Rob. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this, by far, probably my favorite part of the book. He's uh, describing the death of one of the characters. Something cold began to crawl over him. He felt his body start to sink into a hole that seemed to be opening up beneath him in the ground. And it scared him, that feeling, the way it sucked the breath right out of him. Very nice. It's Yeah, I mean, like, here's the thing about it. The guy does a wonderful job of being really descriptive like this, but it's not 
overdone. He, I mean, he does it when it's needed and when it's going to have that impact. But like the rest of the story reads the way it needs to. He brings out this really, really intense writing, but he doesn't overdo it. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, really, really well written. And I, uh, you know, I debated on saying this, but and as I'm sure some of the listeners already know, but if you, if you listen to the beginning of it, the guy's 57 years old. He had his first book published two years ago, three years ago, I guess, going on three years ago. So this is his second published book, and this is really fantastic writing from somebody who I'm assuming didn't uh, get very serious about it till you know, considerably later in life than most people do. So, I mean, this is really, really good stuff. This guy was walking around with like a gold mine in his head and just didn't throw it down 20 or 30 years ago, or he might be like a, you know, big best-selling author right now. Yeah. All right, that's probably a good uh, good time to go into a into a wrap up and give it a rating. You want to kick that off? Yeah, the things I liked about the book were just the way that he he had all these very different stories and he weaved them together well as time went on. He did uh, he had a lot of very interesting characters and he had these like very very powerful moments and he, he conveyed a full range of, of emotions of things that were going on from very touching or sad moments to very visceral and evil. So he did a wonderful job of, of putting me in the moment. And I like that a lot. It's easily a four star book for me because it was a little too religious and a little too Southern for my taste. I just, it was harder for me to, to, you know, keep going in the book. So I'm dropping it to a three and a half for that reason, but it's purely personal reasons. I mean, and objectively it's easily a four star book. All right. Then to prove Rob's point, I really liked it. I found that it was really hard to put down and I was bummed when I had to do other things because I had to put this book down because it just flowed. I mean, I don't, you know, even some of my favorite books, there are some, you know, areas in the book where it gets a little dry or it drags a little bit. And I didn't find that at all in this book. I mean, every page, in my opinion, had something very worthwhile on it. It's a super gritty, dark look at, at a small town culture, something I'm not used to. Again, something we lauded Roger Smith for in Dirt Devils, just a, a look at a different culture, so different than what we're used to. The scary part about this is this is a different culture that's much, much closer to home than, than South Africa. Really great stuff. Love the vignettes. You know, like I said, just the kind of, uh, you know, grandpa sitting on the porch drinking whiskey and smoking a cigar kind of feel to it was just all of it was done very, very well. I'm going to give it four and a half stars. I forgot. <laughs> this is such a jerky thing to say, but... Um... I forgot that you, know, you learn about things through through books like this because you don't read nonfiction. Uh, you were just latching onto that, learn, looking at a different culture thing so much. I'm like, why is he talking so much about this? He's like, oh yeah, because he doesn't read nonfiction. That is correct. Although I will say that some of the th <laughs> some of the things that I read in this book, I had already learned from watching Justified. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Justified. They have hollers in Justified. It's a great show. <laughs> And coming back for a third season, I might add. All right. So this might be a surprise to everybody, but I don't have any word snobs this time around. I do, but it's not on the actual book. The Amazon author page has the word 17 spelled with five E's. That's one too many E's. That is one too many E's. So, and that's, uh, we had to retake at the top of the episode because we were kind of kidding around about the extra <laughs> E and 17. 
So I don't know who's responsible <laughs> for that. But that's my word snob. We caught it. We didn't catch it. Mr. Pollock, if you're listening, you might want to email uh, Amazon and have them fix that. Yeah, spell check in Google Docs actually caught it or I probably would have glazed right over it. <laughs> so yeah, man, I really, really like this book. So I'm a little I'm a little disappointed that we have kind of a, a you know, one of the one of the bigger disparities. I know that there were a couple others, but yeah, I mean we're a full star apart on this. We are. And it's personal. It's just a, it's a personal preference thing. And I'll be the first to admit that I don't really tend to step outside of my comfort zone a lot. So that I, and here's the thing about it. I mean, if you want to talk about ratings, the way I look at ratings when we're giving ratings is I'm telling you how I personally felt about it. I'm not telling you how I think other people might feel about it. And so I want to be as honest as possible. I mean, still, I thought it was a fantastic book. And considering how little I care for religious and Southern things, uh, I think three and a half is a damn good. I mean, there's a lot of books we reviewed that got a three from me that didn't have that kind of handicap. So I think that's actually saying a lot for it. I, you know what? I'm all right. That's fair. Cause I was thinking about that when you were saying, and I hate books that take place um, completely in the outdoors, which I know sounds, <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, but whenever like a, a book jacket starts with, you know, they're climbing in the mountains and they get trapped and there's just there's no cities there's just you know a real small handful of people and they're always outside or in a cave or something i just can't do it so yeah i guess i could see what you're saying and that would probably be like a two-star handicap right off the bat if i had to read that yeah and it's a fully a personal thing but i think it's important to give our personal impressions of the book as opposed to you know trying to figure out how other people would like it i think it's the most genuine way to approach a review so absolutely nothing against Donald Ray Pollock. It's a fantastic book. It's just my personal uh, bias is playing into it. All right. While we're talking about how <laughs> personal biases and, and everything else. So, you know, I'm writing my notes for this and I'm going, man, I really like this book. I really like this book. And I'm going to give it four and a half stars. And that's, you know, starting to be a trend. <laughs> if I really, really like a book, it, it just can't get five stars. The exclusion being, you know, a recent warmed and bound review. But so I started thinking about that and I thought, man, am I just like really not going to give, a, you know, a regular story book five stars ever? And, and I thought this has got to be because of the show, because I'm sure if I go back and look at my Goodreads that there are plenty of five star ratings in there. So I went back and looked. Now, admittedly, I am way behind because uh, <laughs> because the booked podcast um, is kind enough to track my reading for me now. So I don't have to put them in on Goodreads. So I'm, I don't know, 20 books behind or whatever on there. So on Goodreads, I have 122 books rated and only 16 of them are five star books, um, which, you know, is whatever, like 12 or 13 percent. So I'm pretty much on track right now with what my five star reviews are. And in all fairness, three of those are Will Christopher Bear, which is just a give me. So if you remove those, I'm probably on the right percentage with the podcast. So I'm thinking we got to be coming on a five star book for me soon. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm actually not on Goodreads, but I'm going there now just because I want to see what it actually says. Yeah, it, it's the other. <laughs> yeah, the other thing I was thinking about is that. And kind of like what you said, and I can't even fault the authors. I think that when I looked back at my five-star books, those are the books that everybody I knew that might even read a book like I was pushing it on them. Like if you go through my list, we've talked about so many of these books so many times. But, you know, The Contortionist Handbook is on there. Uh, Rush Architects is on there. Room by Emma Donahue is on there. And these are all ones I've mentioned on the show because they're that good that I think everybody should read them. Like, I don't think there's anybody that couldn't pick these books up and think, wow, this is really something special or really something different. So, mm -hmm. 
yeah, maybe, but, on, uh, maybe on a future episode, I'll run through my uh, my 16 five star picks of the last uh, of the last three years or whatever that covers for me. Hey, there's a thought. So here's here's what the actual individual stars are. So one star is didn't like it. Two stars is it was okay. Three stars is liked it. Four stars is really liked it. And five stars is it was amazing. So if you think about it, I landed between liked it and really liked it. And you landed between really liked it and it was amazing. You know what? That's probably a good way to look at it and probably a fair way to, to do it. Huh. You know, they need to have a zero star rating, which is just <laughs> unreadable. And I only gave one star to <laughs> to the Pale King because there wasn't a like couldn't I couldn't go lower because we had agreed on the good on the Goodreads star system. Yeah, that's true. I, I well what would be what would be below didn't like it? Uh, unreadable. Hated it. Oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of those for you too. Um, well, that's that's the tricky part. I may have mentioned this on another episode. There's uh, somebody whose reviews I kind of loosely follow online, and um, I'm like, man, this guy, this guy doesn't can't not like a book. It's five stars, five stars, five stars. So when I started thinking about it, if a book before we did this, and now the commitment is, you know, we say we're going to read a book, I read a book. It doesn't matter if I like it or not. Halfway through, man, you know, there aren't a lot of one star Goodreads for me um because i never finished that book which means it never goes on the goodreads list that's true so, yeah so i mean that's you know if you look at my goodreads go oh, this guy really based on that system man, he really likes a lot of what he reads yeah there's plenty of books i've gotten 15 pages into deemed them you know basically unreadable for me and then closed them and of course those never get rated because i never read them hey you want to know what one of those books is for me this is going to be a surprise I'm blank staring my microphone waiting for you to say something. <laughs> You're sp- all right. Uh, it's uh, Invisible Monsters. Oh. Chuck Palahniuk. I tried three times to uh, read that book, and I got to, I think, like the 38th page or something each time, and I just couldn't go any farther. I really liked Invisible Monsters, and it probably, and uh, of course, now that I have to now I'm gonna put myself on the spot, I'll get it wrong, has one of my favorite quotes of, of all time in there, and it's something along the lines of, um, no matter how much you think you love someone, you'll always step back as a pool of their blood draws closer or something along those lines. <laughs> so wow. that was my first that was my first Polonic that I read. I read it after seeing Fight Club. But yeah, I liked it. I actually liked it enough. I read it a second time and the second time I got it a little better, too. Yeah, I think I liked it more the second time. You, you know, we were talking about that the other day, too, with uh who were, we were talking with Richard Thomas and Chris Deal, right? And the idea of rereading and stuff, and and how people rarely do it. I, I had that whole year, I think it was 2009, that I dedicated to rereads, and they were shocked when I said that because, yeah, it was 2009. I read about 32 books, and probably 20 of them easily were books I'd read before, and the, for that exact reason that I get them a little deeper and they mean a little bit more to me. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's tough. There's always so much stuff out there to get into. Like I have my list of authors that I read, whatever they put out. That's probably 10 or so authors a year. You pick up recommendations like we've been picking up. If we, if, you know, if we took on half the recommendations we've gotten, we'd have, you know, you know, stacks to the ceiling of books to read, you know, and then there's other stuff you've always wanted to read. Like I've always wanted to read a really good science fiction book. So, you know, I kind of, that's always on my horizon. So there's always so many things out there. And yes, there are a few books I've read two and three times and uh, Mm -hmm. you did a reread year. I did a reread month and reread like five books. 
um, surprise, they're all five star reviews on my Goodreads. They're five of the 16. <laughs> so, but yeah, there's always so much stuff out there to read that it's, I hate to say it, but it's like kind of a waste to read the stuff you've already read. And like I said, that sounds crappy because I've done it and there are books I will read again, but it's kind of hard to hold all the new stuff that's coming out mm. and stuff you've been meaning to get around to at bay. All right. So you turned me on to, to Charles Bukowski with uh, with uh, women. And you know what? I want to read the other stuff that guy's done. But you know what? It's always going to be there. You know, there's new stuff coming at me all the time. So will I ever get to it? I'm sure I will. When will I get to it? No idea. So he's ahead of me rereading other things I've already read, but there's other stuff ahead of him. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And actually that made me think of, um, if ever anybody asks me the question about like, uh, if I could choose to live forever, would I, everybody's like, Oh no, that would be terrible. And I'm like, absolutely. I would. And if, if, you know, if they push me farther about why I say, do you know how many books there are? <laughs> yeah. Do you know how many James Patterson books? There yeah. Are? Oh, I saw a Patterson, uh, commercial for a Patterson book today. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's called Hitman oh, or something like that. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Uh, tomorrow, first uh, first uh, day of September for us, if you were time traveling here since it was yesterday, if you guys were listening to this. But um, uh, it must be a new Patterson book coming yeah. out. Yeah. Saw the commercial. It's coming. The highest paid author. Um, apparently last year, I guess that was $78 million, more than double any other author. That's just sick. Probably yeah. more than double the authors that actually write the books. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a lot more double. So, yeah. At any rate, whatever. Sore spot with me. I'm waiting for that email where uh, James Patterson writes us, and he's like, "You guys were my favorite podcast until you started making fun of me." I think that was like episode three. So yeah. I don't think that I don't think that email's coming, bud. All right. All right. Hey, we got way <laughs> off track there. So let's do a little bit of a uh, of uh, read this, not that. Go ahead, Rob. I just had a quick note that uh, a lot of parts of this book had a, had a feel that was similar to Anthony Neal Smith. I've read three of Smith's books, uh, Psychosomatic, Yellow Medicine, and Hog Dog, and they were all great books. And if you're looking for something that's similar to the style of Pollock, um, you probably enjoy Anthony Neal Smith's books. There's a lot of similarities there. I didn't actually think of that, but as you were saying that, you're right. I think that there's a lot of the the, the rural stuff, and then especially in Psychosomatic, which is Smith's um, first book, um, the 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 wackies, man, the the, the, yeah. the crazies. So yeah, and scumbags. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I uh, my note says exactly this: knock 'em stiff. If I haven't spent too much time talking about it already, yeah, read knock 'em stiff. Um, honestly, if you haven't, I think that reading. Reading this first and then reading Knock'em Stiff and kind of getting the idea, uh, a little deeper look at the culture, I think, in this one would probably make Knock'em Stiff, which, again, is a, is a series of short stories that are very loosely intertwined. They have, like, a very thin thread that ties them together. Definitely good stuff to read. So I definitely look forward to more uh, Donald Ray Pollock. All right. Do you have anything in general that's not a read this, not that, that you'd like to talk about right now that people should be buying? Yes, we mentioned this on our last episode, and uh, Warmed and Bound is out in its ebook form. It is a very reasonable $7.95 on Amazon for your Kindle or your PC or your smartphone. Hey, we're in it. And uh, that's uh, not only is it a great five star anthology, um, but man, there's stuff by us in there. Rob, tell them what they get. 
Okay. Uh, in addition to all the stories that we talked about already, they added uh, an incredible... <laughs> I've seen the anthology, and I've seen how much stuff they added to the end of it. It's probably the last 30% of the book is just additional stuff, and this is already over 400 pages of just the original anthology, so you're talking about another 200 or so pages of extra stuff, including um, <clears throat> Livius and I do a nice little final thoughts about the anthology. We also have transcriptions of four of the interviews that we did in our warmed and bound sessions, including uh, Craig Clevenger, Brian Evanson, Stephen Graham Jones, and Pela Villa. And is that it? Um, that's all we've got in there, but there is a ton oh, more stuff. Yeah, and some lovely pictures of us as well. Uh, <laughs> but beyond that, there's other bonus content too. There's uh, interviews that were conducted by a couple other people and an incredible afterward by Jesse Lawrence. That thing's just packed, packed full of stuff. So seven ninety five is a steal for the probably six hundred pages of of uh, content that you get from it. Yeah, I mean it was just just the whole thing's fantastic and we're just so honored again a big thank you to velvet press and uh pale via the editor for including us in that um and to give a little bit back to the velvet community we're helping promote the book by doing a huge bundle giveaway on goodreads all right so here's what you're getting um you're getting warmed and bound um signed by richard thomas and chris Steele. shiver six anthology um that richard thomas appears in also signed by richard thomas Cien Fuegos, the chapbook signed by Chris Deal. Stranger Will, signed by Caleb Ross. And When October Falls, signed by Christopher Dwyer. Um, if you're not familiar with Warmed and Bound, the bundle part of this, all of these authors appear in Warmed and Bound. And, and I say this very hesitantly, but there's a chance we'll be adding a third signature to that Warmed and Bound copy, too. And more details on that to come. Malaz would argue that you missed the uh, most important uh, part of that bundle that we're giving away, which is... It comes with an official limited edition booked mark. That's right. And yes, you heard me right. Booked mark. That is a bookmark of booked our podcast. I say limited edition because we <laughs> gave away a ton of them at a book fair. And uh, now we have like three or four left. So it's definitely a limited edition. And the next set of bookmarks will be slightly different. So these are definitely collector's items. Yeah. And it's compatible with all five books. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Rob and I have been furiously at work trying to figure out how to come up with a digital booked mark that you could use to bookmark your Kindle or, or Nook stories, and we still haven't quite gotten there yet. But we're working on it. Okay, and a little bit about what's coming up in the next week or so. It's kind of a busy week for us. We've been talking with, we recently reviewed Machine Man by Max Berry, and we've been uh, having email conversations back and forth with him about the idea of doing an interview. And it sounds like he's down for it. We just haven't really uh, firmed up a date that that's going to happen. So keep an eye out for that. We'll be announcing when uh, that's going to go live, but it looks like it's going to be an extra. We will be doing an interlude episode next week, so uh, whenever Max Berry gets recorded and cut, we'll just drop it in as a bonus episode somewhere. How cool is that, Max Berry? Yeah, Looking forward right. to talking to that guy. Pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. Yeah. You know it's going to be unfortunate for Max Berry when we tell him, like, yeah, you're the second author we've talked to from Australia. <laughs> I'll bet you he doesn't hear that a whole lot. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. All right, for those of you who are dying to get a hold of us, here's the, the list. You can catch us on Twitter at Booked Podcast. We're bookedpodcast at gmail.com if you're going to use the email. We're facebook.com slash bookedpodcast. 
that's where you should really, really go and click the like button. Um, we've had a nice little surge of people who've been generous enough to like our Facebook page. It's really where we would like to start releasing like uh, some extra content and maybe like sneak peeks of our episodes. So if we get enough of a following there, I think we may reward those people with that. Um, you can also search the internet and find Rob's uh, cell phone number and call him if you'd like. And if you're looking for new creative ways to listen to our podcast, I'll tell you where you can find us right now. You can get it on our website, which is bookedpodcast.com. We uh, have been on iTunes since the beginning of iTunes, I think. Uh, so you can get us there. We are on the Zoom network. Haven't heard back from anybody <laughs> since the last episode about how that is. Actually, we heard from one person that said they don't use the Zoom network. So. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> So thank you. Please have more people tell us what you don't listen to it on. <laughs> you can also get us right on the blueberry.com website. And our favorite, our absolute favorite to talk about is Stitcher. Uh, download Stitcher for your smartphone. I think it's available for everything. Uh, iOS, Android, WebOS. What does BlackBerry have something? Yep, I don't know anything about, yeah, I don't know anything about blackberries, but it's on there too. Uh, and Livius will say it's just the easiest way to listen to us that exists yet. Yep. Unless you actually come over and listen to us record it, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> All right, then. I've, I've seen some of our uh, <laughs> some of our like list on Facebook. Yeah, then stick with uh, what we said already, and that's uh, that's where you can listen to us. Very good. So I think that uh, that about does it. Um, interlude episode next week, Max Berry. We'll have some fun stuff to talk about. We uh, may have an outing coming up here shortly, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, until next time for Book to Podcast, I'm Livia Sneddon. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. You're